0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only.
1: Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting. It is Wednesday, November the 8th, 2017. How are you, Wei?
0: Are you going to start doing that every time?
1: Way, I'm trying to find the 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 right intro. I had my intro down. I had it down. And now I've got to I've got to start anew. Huh. Okay. Well, that's nice. It's like uh, maybe um, I'm going to do something different every single time.
0: Yeah, how about just a different welcome? Like like a different catchphrase. Like um
1: Bingo. Welcome.
0: Like that type of thing.
1: Yeah, maybe I can do I a, you know. a sign off of a an old an old uh, tutaloo. Uh Do you ever have grandparents do you, know, do you or know someone parents that would say that to say good No, I don't think toodaloo? I don't think my
0: grandparents. No, I don't think my Asian grandparents would ever say toodaloo.
1: <laughs> well, maybe they have their own uh sign off.
0: Yeah, they got the Chinese equivalent of toodaloo, Yeah.
1: I I think your dad's sign off was, Way, keep it down. It sounds terrible. (laughs) Yes. Yes, uh, he's been known to
0: do that. Not about our podcast,
1: but. Way's Way's music that he recorded, he once showed me a video and in the background is his dad yelling about his thoughts on Way's music and it being quite a distraction to him he's part of the song hey yeah. hey! you got to meet my dad last week had you ever met mm-hmm. you ever met my dad before in all these years? never never N-
0: never is the first time and it was, it was a real pleasure um are
1: we, are we at all alike do you see similarities do you see any traits that i have been you, passed on
0: your your faces are somewhat like i think you have the similar nose maybe okay. uh i would say or i i don't I, I don't really know that much about his personality just from you know briefly meeting him but From what I gather, maybe not that similar. Um, But at the same time, like, I don't know how similar I am to my dad's personality, you know. Uh,
1: But I don't know. What do you think? You tell me. Well, I don't know. I have a hard time uh, uh, seeing those similarities with, like, family members. People will tell me that I look uh, similar to my brother. Uh, They all say that about um, when they see when they see max my child they're like oh my gosh mm-hmm. you guys look this you guys have the exact same face i was like are you kidding me I, I i'm 33 years old this is a three-month-old i i don't necessarily see these things i think you need someone from <laughs> a, a an outside perspective to uh because c- you see these people every day you talk to these people every day like my dad i i don't know i don't know what what we have similar or that are differences so i'm curious
0: yeah i could see that i could see that Uh, But you do look a lot like your son or or your son looks a lot like you. Maybe a lot of it I do think maybe is just because of the bald head as well. It makes it even more apparent. But I would say like, you know, a lot of facial. At least at at this very early stage, you can see uh, maybe probably came from you.
1: Well, I'm trying to uh, pivot here because we we have a lot to cover here. Way is going on a super secret mission later today. Uh, I don't know if you want to disclose that, but we have to. It's not. It's not that secret. Oh, it's, it's very, very under wraps.
0: But you're going to Japan. You know, yeah, I'm going to Japan for two weeks for a vacation that I had actually booked before all this all this stuff happened. But um, stuff. I'll be there for two weeks. <laughs> uh, Smackdown.
1: You're going to get to see some of the uh, the G1 Tag League.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, gonna be I'm fun. very excited. Yeah, I'm actually uh, planning on meeting up with the. Uh, some people that we know from japan from uh, our extended family um but uh and yeah actually i I'm, I'm sure people will hear all about it because i do intend on uh continuing doing these shows while i'm over there so
1: uh which if you yeah, if, you, if you pull that off way that will be an incredible feat i know you're you're going into this i i've put no pressure on way that he has to do any shows when he's gone but he is insisting so We'll see if this I works. We're, we are going to yeah, be 12 hours apart. I
0: don't really know the my internet situation. I'm staying with my brother in Tokyo. I don't really know how good his internet is. No, but I a, you know he's a massive we'll
1: celebrity it. over there. So I would imagine this is the he's, this is the musician? Yeah, I don't know if I, I wouldn't say he is. He's had articles written about him. He's a big deal over there. I've got to imagine he's connected no. to like a, uh you know, the the city's landline or whatever i'm sure his oh, internet is flawless
0: you would be surprised right. uh, anyway yeah we'll we'll find out we'll find maybe
1: out. you two could do a show if you want
0: uh reviewing
1: review what? you could literally do a review away where he reviews you
0: sure actually his name is way <laughs> oh, as well
1: you're kidding me
0: well his chinese you name. don't his even chinese need me no <laughs> yeah, exactly you
1: guys should just do your own spinoff
0: no, well, you know how like in uh, I don't know how it is with you, but like sometimes um, middle names in in I guess like Western culture are are similar. Yes, but like in Ch- Chinese culture, like the middle character is all often always like of the same generation is often always similar yes. between at least of, of the same gender. So um, I go I I shorten my full name to just that middle and uh, character, and yeah. So I guess he would, but his name is actually James. He 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 actually adopted an English name. Oh, I'm like me.
1: Man, what would your English name have been? Did you ever give it any consideration, or you were always attached to this name?
0: Um, I think at one point, like I went by George for like uh, uh, a semester in like a math class, like an extra math, like a after-school math class, just to try it on because I was a big Seinfeld fan. <laughs> oh
1: my God! How did I so not I know this? Saw,
0: so I just wrote George on like the top of my papers every time, and then I was just trying it on. You know, it's like trying on an, an, an identity.
1: Yeah, it's like it's just like you know, uh, you go to the sh- you go into the change room and you put on the shirt. And like, nah, not for me. Not yeah. not a George man. Your so was a, your life would have been so a, much different, I think, as George Ting. Oh my god, <laughs> the show names would have been way tougher. To oh come my up god, with. yeah, be, um, yeah. In it would be a uh, in George on wrestling like engorged that's the best that's the best i I could do george is a real tough one cure you could be curious george and you're curious about all these wrestling events yeah god we 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 would have lasted three shows and then it would have been you know what uh george i don't know if this is gonna really sustain
0: yeah i would have had a whole different career i'd be like a um janitor or something
1: that would have been it yeah well now we move to smackdown as flawlessly as we uh, are going to. Manchester, England, night two, November the 7th. So going into this show way, we had, once again, the WWE alerting all of their audience that there was going to be a major title change on this particular show. And unlike the Monday one, where you could argue whether it really was a big enough deal to promote ahead of time, this was a very newsworthy title change and i think that this would have attracted people to tune in and see because of the nature of this title change
0: oh completely absolutely i think
1: this was smart on the wwe's part to promote
0: uh i mean you can argue the biggest title change maybe they've ever done on a on a show that was pre-taped
1: um mick foley was a pre-tape that was a that Uh, was a week out
0: right okay yeah i guess that one was bigger than this damn you
1: This is, I would say, one of the bigger title changes. Not the only one, of course, but one of the biggest they've done on SmackDown, I would say.
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, how did they actually preface it? Like, what did they tweet out? You remember?
1: What I saw was the story on the website where I think it just said major title change at SmackDown. I don't think they gave away the result in the headline, but I didn't see all the different um, uh, social media posts that they had. If they actually just gave it away mm, okay. in the title,
0: I mean that kind of gives it away, right? Like the, you know, it's AJ versus Jinder on the show.
1: Oh my God! What Tyler other... Bate won the cruiserweight title.
0: Yeah, exactly. Anyway,
1: well, all right, cool. I don't. I have no issue with it. Like it got me interested. No, I think. It's, I think in this case, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was smart. It upsets some people, but you know what? I over the years haven't had a whole lot of sympathy for that audience. So anyway. AJ Styles started the show uh, with a promo. This is just a tape promo on his chance to become champion. C is an opportunity, and Jinder Mahal may be bigger and stronger, but only one. there's only one phenomenal one. And then we go to Jinder, who says he beat up Styles last week, and he's just going to be another phenomenal loser tonight before he takes on Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series. This was done in the style of like an old saturday night's main event only with two guys here like these produced promos to start the show and then we went into the actual show to just set things Mm. up because if you are not following uh, the wwe in between episodes you left last week assuming aj was facing rusev tonight for the opportunity to have the fifth spot on the smackdown team so they changed Mm, all of this over the week
0: Mm, yes that's right
1: shane mcmahon comes out manchester loves this guy He calls this the A-show. And he plugs that tonight we will have the Battle of the Sexes. The Battle of the Sexes way.
0: Yeah.
1: I have a a lot to say. Our
0: representative. Yeah. Our representative. Uh, James Ellsworth was
1: representing the men. There were also Mm -hmm. going to be two title matches. And when he brought up Jinder Mahal, enormous heat for Jinder. Mm. And a huge pop for AJ Styles. I mean, if you were... You can look at the timing of all of this, but doing this in Manchester, you gave AJ an incredible audience behind him. And this lasted all night long.
0: Mm -hmm. Agreed.
1: After the Survivor Series, Shane says that SmackDown will never be known as the B-Show again. They will be the show. And this year, it's personal. Unlike last year. He holds Kurt Angle and Stephanie responsible for Daniel Bryan being attacked on Raw and sending Kane in to attack him. And he's going to get his payback on Kurt Angle at the Survivor Series. And Daniel Bryan will be back next week. And the whole place boos. And Shane is (laughs) caught (laughs) off guard by this. He says, it's a good thing. He's alive. But they all start chanting, we want Bryan, you idiot. We don't want him next week in Charlotte. And then he puts over the New Day for firing a shot Monday night. Brings out the New Day as they replay the angle from Monday. And New Day's in the ring with Shane said it was not their intention for Rollins and Ambrose to lose their titles, but such is the case when you are under siege. And they led that siege, and they looked Raw dead in the eyes, beat them down, and they did nothing. Shane says that the New Day has empowered everyone here, and then Shane starts dancing with the New Day when they are interrupted by Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. It was interesting in this entire segment and how it continues. There was very little in terms of the new day teasing what we were discussing on Monday, the potential of a shield match. Like it just uh, seemed to be more the focus of this overall uh, invasion on Monday and then segueing to Owens and Zane. Although I still feel that that six man, it should be the direction for survivor series.
0: I mean, I feel like it's still very much a possibility and I, I, I would say nothing. The new day did here discounts the, that idea from happening. I, I would, you know, they're still like, they're kind of being promoted as sort of like the most loyal of the um, SmackDown um, under-siegers.
1: Yes, the under-siegers. Yeah.
0: So, I, you know, in that sense, I would. I, you can clearly understand why The Shield would pick the New Day as primary targets uh, on Monday. And I, I definitely still feel like that makes the most sense at this point.
1: And they had ads throughout this show plugging Raw and it's all built around the Shields reunion on Monday, Roman Reigns is back and putting the three of them together. I mean, that is the big thing mm-hmm. for Monday. So, I just think it's logical that you set up the six-man on Monday.
0: Yeah, also like the New Day, I mean, we'll talk about more about it more in the match later, but like the New Day are being booked to look pretty strong and I don't think you just booked the New Day to look strong. Unless you have a big match coming up for them.
1: Owens and Zayn are out. Zayn is now just doing the most over-exaggerated dancing he can do just to anger people. Owens calls it the stupidest and most painful thing he's ever seen in his life, what he's just witnessed. Zayn says that Shane McMahon is not cool. He should never dance again, which are words that Dan Levransky said in the year 2000 kofi is mocking his entrance and calls him a fool and then owens and zane say they could have shown up on raw and attacked but we are men of honor which is on their resume zane complains that he lost a qualifying match due to a low blow and if it had been them who did that they would have been suspended fined or fired shane not bringing up the fact that zane used a low blow before that says that owens also lost to shinsuke nakamura so, Owens asks if they have to dance and sing like the New Day puppets. So, Kofi responds to this jab by calling and referring to Sam Zane as a 1930s paper boy that never has seen the inside of a gym. And one of them yells, Extra, extra, read all about it. And this broke Big E, who was just laughing here like he was Jimmy Fallon. And Owens, he says, is so far up Zane's ass. That he, when he brushes his teeth, Owens gets a manicure, and at the end of all of this, Shane makes a match between Sami Zayn and Kofi Kingston. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This was yep. a long uh, open. This was twenty minutes to start the show.
0: Yeah, it it, it was. Yeah, I I, I I find it interesting, and I think it's it's good. It's a good use of Brian, basically as sort of the team's mascot, or or actually maybe more so the team mascot's head. That's been stolen by the rival oh high school. Oh my god,
1: you're right. This is Bayside and uh, Valley. Remember when they s- when they yeah. steal the tiger?
0: Yeah, there you go. So that's that's Daniel Bryan. He's the team mascot's the head. head. Oh, they're gonna have that's that. has been stolen. That
1: itching powder that they put into the tiger. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. He did the backflip.
0: Actually, I don't remember. And it I was built around anything. a wrestling meet. Well, there you go. There you go. But uh, you know, for a character who's not gonna wrestle like Bryan. I, and and somebody who is as beloved as a mascot like a Daniel Bryan, I think it's effective use of 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 a non wrestling character. Um,
1: is it weird we haven't gotten any update? The man was stretchered out, and we got no update on this guy. We got an update now. He's going to be back next week. Oh, I mean, what 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 injuries did this man suffer? I mean, this is a guy that had a neck injury, and he got theoretically choke slammed, and he was taken out on a stretcher. I mean, just a, a medical mm-hmm. update on his state.
0: Um, they could make stuff up, I guess. I I assume next week he'll just be fine, though. I don't know.
1: Maybe, you know what he should have as a sign of who attacked him? He has to walk out with a cane. Ooh. And, And every time I've got to rely and put my weight on this cane, I realize what this man did to me. And now the man that nearly killed me is what I need to support my entire body with. Cain. Damn. What the fuck well, am I doing um, here with a need, podcast? You want to send a,
0: yeah, should you be sending a resume or something? Like I know they're looking for there's like an open spot for a writer then in there.
1: Yeah, I guess the 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 Jimmy Jacobs void is there. So yeah,
0: yeah. You know the um the the Survivor Series program has unfortunately I think. Really derailed the Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon feud because coming off of Hell in a Cell, they had so much momentum with the Zayn turn, with Shane falling through the the uh, the the Hell in a Cell. It it was kind of like SmackDown's main pro, main program, but unfortunately, because Shane has to focus on Survivor Series, he kind of gives off the vibe now that he doesn't care that much about getting revenge on Sami Zayn or Kevin Owens because he's. He's more focused on this other thing. And so I, I think just the effect of it cools it down, unfortunately, a little bit. And after Survivor Series, obviously, they'll pick it back up. But they'll, they're probably going to have to do something, you know, another violent act to really kind of heat it up again.
1: The timing was really difficult. I think had you done Owens and Shane at SummerSlam, that would have been more ideal, which it felt like that's where they were building it to. However, the way in which they've handled it, I think, have been very... Like, I think there was a mentality, like, a year ago, Zane and Owens would have been on the team with Shane, for instance, and they're not doing that. And based on this, it feels like Owens and Zayn aren't even going to have matches at Survivor Series. Maybe they will, but they're not going to be in that big match. And I think, ultimately, everyone expects them to cost Shane that match, and then I think you're going to pick it up right where you left off. So I think that they've done the best job possible of keeping this in the back of everyone's mind and pushing ahead with the survivor series, knowing that this feud is still lingering over top for Shane eventually. Mm. So Sammy Zane and Kofi Kingston or Sam Zane, if we are transitioning to that, um, Sammy's, do you notice his hair now? He's just got the total bedhead look that makes him look like garbage. He's not always had that. It just seems more pronounced now that it's just, like, he looks like he just woke up. He looks much more disheveled, and it never struck me huh. as much before. All right. Zayn is on the floor. He's resetting with Owens, and then Kingston catches Zayn with this drop kick as Zayn is coming off the turnbuckle. Go through a commercial break. Kofi did this new spot where he bounces on, on the top rope on his chest and gets momentum and then flips forward on top of Zayn on the floor. This looked incredible.
0: It looked interesting. Oh. It looked like a tough landing because of, of all the velocity.
1: He landed on the shoulder, but hard. Yeah, this is something mm-hmm. that, man, if he went over, like, at a very fast speed, that if he missed yeah. and nailed this guy in the head, I think he would have knocked him out. Yeah. Um, I thought it looked cool. Uh, Kingston used the, yeah. the SOS for a two count. Zane ducked the Trouble in Paradise for a Blue Thunder Bomb for a two. And then Kofi uh, was on the turnbuckle, came off with a reverse cross body. And pin Sami Zayn, just like that.
0: hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I don't have a huge problem with somebody getting pinned off of that. I mean, they were wrestling really fast, and it was, like, one of those f- pinfalls that just occurs kind of when people... Um, there's so much action going on. Like, I could I could buy that crossbody coming off of that se- sequence, finishing that match, right? Um, I think they're pushing the New Day, obviously, right now. Like, you don't just typically get... Kofi Kingston beating somebody like Sami Zayn who is in a you know he's he's sort of he's sort of in in like a very principal role right now on the show so I don't think you do that without reason and it seems to me they're probably making the New Day strong maybe for the Shield match
1: yeah I think that's definitely the the direction and yeah getting some heat on the New Day Renee was with Jinder Mahal and the Singh Brothers backstage and Jinder said he was dining with Manchester's Elite today and when he was with them, having their meal, he wanted the first course to be referred to as AJ Styles, and the server gave him probably the most confused look ever. And then he said that the first course, the AJ Styles, is the appetizer before the entree where he's going to eat Brock Lesnar, and he will make a meal out of Styles tonight, and then feast on the beast. Well I didn't what think would that, I didn't think this promo was bad, but as I read it back, I it was I thought
0: it was I thought the line was good. What was what what kind of food would an AJ Styles appetizer be?
1: Oh, it would have to be something that is very uh like
0: American. Georgian. Like an,
1: Yeah, f- um, something fried. Hmm. That can also maybe See, I immediately thought of like a uh like a fish that's very raw that it could be still moving around and stuff it just can't stay still. So maybe by extension I'm thinking sushi? Kind of like sushi. Yes.
0: Hmm. AJ
1: is uh sushi with a, like high concentration of wasabi.
0: That sounds gross.
1: Well, what would Brock be? I just imagine like a oh my god like steak, a, a boar with the yeah. with like probably like a moose with a moose antlers steak? coming out of it still. Yeah, yeah. also raw <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah. I get well. Yeah, he is raw. So yeah. that inducing <laughs> exactly. That's like the you just stick the little uh, flag in and it says uh, it has a D on it. Uh, so that was that promo with Jinder. and then we had. Our favorite, our highlight of the week, the Bludgeon Brothers. I these ones are getting annoying because I have to go back now and watch it a second time to get the uh, the exact wording out. I will keep these are these aren't the same ones. No, they're right? new ones every single week. They shot oh, probably wow. five thousand of these when they went out Jeez. to this woods. Um, this world is a horrible place. We're here to make it worse. This also happening on the the anniversary of the election of the 45th president. He says, no cage can contain us. No asylum can understand us. And when we're done, humanity will swell over. Harper, Rowan, penicillin palace. <laughs> oh,
0: that's good. Um, man, these do nothing for me. And the fact that I can't even tell that these are new every single week, I think tells you... How bland they come across now. We're I don't four, th- I don't think if we
1: transcribe them anyone would think these are different. Yeah. Like
0: I I would say like at the very least, if you're gonna pre tape a bunch of these, I think changing up the location for each one at least would help slightly, you know. Uh having them do something, having them, you know, uh beat somebody up in the woods, I don't know. Wait, they're having they're
1: killing camera operators with their hammers every week with their yeah, whatever. bludgeon hammers.
0: I don't know, having them like you know eating steak over wine, Eric Rowan's wine. I'd I'd be cutting the promo, same promo. I think I, I think it'd be somewhat visually more uh, fresh, but like you're conditioning your audience to just be sick of these guys before they've even debuted.
1: Steak and wine, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Call back for hey Eric hey, Rowan. how
0: about that? How about that? Uh, Luke Harper uh, behind the scenes, uh, acting. Thing he, in the same show here. So
1: on tonight's show, on Tuesday's show, they were promoting this new series that was premiering right after, called Damnation, on the USA Network, and they aired a behind-the-scenes feature because in an episode later this season, Luke Harper has a prominent guest role, a speaking role, where they're going to go back to the carnival days, and Luke Harper is a wrestler, and. I'm curious to watch this, and I never care about these wrestlers doing TV shows, but this one I kind of uh, want to see. This Luke Harper
0: uh, acting vignette was the most push they, I think they've ever given Luke Harper. Um, he had more character
1: um, I, in this little damnation spot than he's dude, had in any of these promos.
0: All these actors were putting over Luke Harper on being like a really good actor you know you have these real professionals they they're saying yeah he's just great he comes across so well and then he delivers a line and it's like wow he's, you're you can buy it like this guy's an actually actual good actor so i'd I almost much prefer to see Luke Harper the actor as opposed to Luke Harper the bludgeon
1: poet. oh brother. my god maybe Luke Harper and Aiden English should be together as the uh you know these these actors and uh, singers i don't know okay but what it tells you
0: is like this guy they're, they're very this guy is probably really talented he can probably act you know and probably way better than this bludgeon brothers thing that he's been been given
1: Aiden English is in the ring and he tells Manchester to remain silent he introduces Rusev as the lion of Bulgaria who beat the viper before and tonight he shall defeat Randy Orton once more and uh, this was actually where they mentioned damnation this was before they aired the spot also worth noting they did not mention at all the rick flair 30 for 30 so they were not going to be uh, promoting other networks which is pretty much par for the course on wwe programming rusev versus randy orton the stipulation here was that if rusev won he would be on the survivor series team randy orton is already part of the team rusev blocks an rko and landed a head kick and he's just continually going for pinfall attempts Shane, Bobby Roode, and Nakamura are watching backstage, and that was the only presence of Bobby Roode and Nakamura on this show. Then we saw repeated elbow drops from Rusev. He's starting to get frustrated, and Orton pops up and hits the RKO and pins Rusev. Mm Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, which is kind of where Randy Orton resides in the SmackDown universe. Nowhere. No. He just shows up out of nowhere, and then he goes back to his cocoon. He's not attached to anyone. He's not feuding with anyone. He just—he's just Randy Orton in a corner somewhere that comes out mm. and plays once a week.
0: Yeah, I mean he—he's playing the veteran's role, I suppose, on that team. And uh, I you know I don't know if he—I don't know if there's room for another major storyline on on Survivor Series. Everybody kind of already has. There's already so much with both brands, so a spot remains on Team SmackDown.
1: Yeah, one spot is open. James Ellsworth is outside of the women's locker room, and he asks Tamina to go get Carmella for him, and instead Becky Lynch comes out. James asks if she actually thinks she has a chance, and informs Becky that he is a man, she is a woman. And he thinks this women's revolution is a farce, and she is in Manchester, not womanchester. Men are superior (laughs) to women. The ring is no place for... The Softer Sex. And he allows Carmella to compete because she likes it. And Becky says, those are some ballsy statements. Too bad you don't have any.
0: Mm-hmm. I I think this dude is just great. He's hilarious. And this cut, this
1: match, what
0: setup did they really have
1: for Okay. It? That is my biggest issue with this. Because this felt like the culmination of... Weeks, if not months, of James Ellsworth running down the women, of constantly being the guy, the untouchable manager who finally is going to get his comeuppance here. This was Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler. This was, mm-hmm. this is like any story of like Lou Albano at the end of a long feud finally being put in a match and he's just bloodied up and destroyed. And mm-hmm. this, There was none of this beforehand. James Ellsworth has never said anything negative about the women's division or any of this. This was like someone had an idea and we're just going to set it up with a promo. And instead, I just, I don't see how you could really, like, this could have been something you eventually get to. It just felt like completely out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, even with the post-match that we're about to talk about, it seemed like a blow-off for James Ellsworth and his character. Um,
1: the, the, what this I, show I, felt I like, know. way was we someone came up with a better idea for a main event at Survivor Series, and someone wanted to split up Ellsworth and Carmella, and let's just do it. We need to do it now. That's what the show felt like. It was just there was no hmm. setup to any of this. Hmm. So Ellsworth and Becky Lynch, uh, all of the women's uh, Survivor Series team is surrounding the ring. James does uh, his Mark Hominick push-ups, but he does it before the match and not after. Becky goes to grab his arm and he gets to the rope and the fans boo as James takes his shirt off. I mean, this is a guy that knows exactly what his role is and to maximize everything. Like, oh, him working out would be very detrimental oh, to his. Like working career. in trunks here. I mean, this guy just looks atrocious, and mm-hmm. totally fits what James Ellsworth should represent and look like. Uh, he hit a. He used an airplane spin. Sorry, Becky did an airplane spin to James, so he gets all dizzy and is tossed to the floor. James did a crane pose and then shoves Becky down and shoves her to the floor. Becky came back with a missile drop kick, and. He sets up the no-chin music, which is stopped with an atomic drop. He gets kicked in the crotch, and then a Sploder, He goes to leave. The women stop him. Charlotte literally like tapped him, and he rolled back into the ring. And James is begging off. He kisses the hand of Becky, hugs her, and then he's placed in the disarmor, and taps at 553.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really fun, old-school match that told a really yeah, easy-to-digest story that Seem to keep the audience engaged. There's a lot of it's. It's important to know that Ellsworth at no point does he throw any strikes at
1: all at Becky. All he did was he shoved her, and that was it.
0: Yeah, and it was just a lot of grappling. And I thought I thought a lot of fun grappling, showing kind of the extent of Becky and James Ellsworth's mat mat based offense. Um, Overall, I I I enjoyed the segment, but we talked. You know, like we said, maybe the context um, could have been maximized.
1: You could have got a lot of heat on James Ellsworth just being this sexist promo for months and months. And Carmella is the one that is fending him off and defending him. And then the big culmination is a Lumberjack, a Lumberer Jill match. I hate that term. Where they surround the ring, he loses, and then this angle afterwards, where Carmella is in the ring with Becky. They pretend to argue, but then Carmella super kicks Ellsworth and leaves the ring. And if this had been two months' worth, and James Ellsworth is treating Carmella like trash, but still she defends this guy because he's always had her back, and then finally he gets his, he, he's finally beaten by Becky, and then Carmella super kicks him, this place would have exploded.
0: Sure, I'm interested in in the follow up to this because I mean they've had Carmella attack Ellsworth before, and I think that's what led to this like SNM and Um gimmick. So this could just be another one of those, and because it seems just really sudden for like a separation of the of the of the two for no seeming seemingly no reason. I mean, like Carmella's still a heel. You know, this almost kind of baby faced her a little bit. So I'm kind of curious how how they'll follow this up.
1: Or this is all a decoy for the money in the bank cash in, which yeah. Carmella has this plan now with Ellsworth getting involved to help her. And then they're back together. They could do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I feel like Survivor Series would actually be a perfect time for something like that to happen.
1: Yeah. Um I mean, at the rate they're going, God, they could do it next week. And then it seems like they're on this real kick of with these title matches of just switching all these titles to switch up the matches at Survivor Series. I mean, there's no mm. real value. Like, Natalia versus Alexa. Yeah, they could easily do Carmella versus Alexa. Like, it doesn't matter what the match is. And, well, and I think might, they're and they, just using that card now over and over. Yeah,
0: looks, looks like it might be Charlotte.
1: Could be Charlotte. It could be. Mm-hmm. Like you can just essentially you're just slotting in different women into different spots here and ditto for the men.
0: I mean the thing is, like you look at that card and it's hardly inspiring, you know? Um, in its previous incarnation with Jinder versus Brock, with um even Alexa versus Natalia, I think it might be okay, but it's double heel. You're you're kind of like mm, in the end, like you got to look at that show, and you you got to say yourself to yourself, despite you know both being champions, is this an attractive enough show for our audience? And you know, they seem to be coming to the re- realization that it's not.
1: Also, keeping in mind now that Ric Flair is scheduled to appear at Starcade later this month, mm-hmm. so okay, you could do some, you could do the angle you envisioned on that show. You could also have mm-hmm. Charlotte going into Starcade with her father. As champion mm-hmm. and do something on that show as well, depending on how much focus you're going to give to Starcade because it's not airing on the network. It's really a house show. Right. Shane is with Charlotte and Natalia walks in and says she's willing to beat Alexa Bliss at Survivor Series and then also take Charlotte's spot on the team. Shane brings up the Hell in a Self finish with Charlotte uh, winning by DQ after Natalia attacked her. And Shane announces a title match for next week against Charlotte in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the winner will face Alexa at the pay-per-view, and Natalia complains about all the chances that Charlotte receives.
0: I mean, I'm looking at this, and I'm predicting a Charlotte Tuttle win next week, because I think Alexa versus Charlotte is a much more interesting match, a uh, much more higher marquee match. I think this, Natalia is great, but I mean, I would hardly say that she's been really given the ball uh, for this women's uh, championship run that she's been having. She's She appears with the belt, but she doesn't necessarily feel like a main character. And I think making it Charlotte versus Alexa, first of all, sets up all that Rick Rick stuff down the line. Also, it's babyface heel. It's a lot more natural, and the match will turn out a lot better.
1: The Usos versus Shelton Benjamin and and Chad Gable for the SmackDown tag titles. The Usos cut a promo before the match with Jimmy repeatedly asking Jay, who is standing in the ring? And some of the answers included American Alpha part two and then calling them their next victim and then go to attack them and send Gable and Benjamin to the floor. So the match did not go long. Jay hit a Samoan drop to Gable and then took a spine buster from Shelton. Shelton was in and hit the pay dirt to Jimmy and Jay gets sent to the floor and Gable chop blocks Jay, which is the same thing they did earlier this year with the American Alpha feud where it was the Usos that chop blocked Gable. And so this time it's Jay's knee that is taken out and he's down on the floor and can't get back into the ring. And he's counted out in a minute 27. It
0: almost felt like Gable and Benjamin were the heels here doing that attack. And also like the Usos were playing it very straight up baby face, bit, you know, yeah. uh, begging, begging for the hot tag and, uh, uh, you know, just wrestling. Like, I mean, drawing the sympathy card at the end here.
1: So, uh, Really, they didn't push the the new match with the Usos against Cesaro and Sheamus. I I imagine it was mentioned at some point in passing in commentary, but it wasn't really emphasized on this show that there are new tag champions on Raw, and therefore we have a new uh, set of opponents for the Usos.
0: What do you think this leads to uh, with uh, one of the Usos injured? I mean... Like, if they, if they keep up with the injury.
1: I... I don't.
0: Is it just to set up a match and to have them, you know, go into the match injured?
1: Yeah, I think that's what you do. Because I can't see mm-hmm. them doing like a replacement partner and to do, like, I mean, vacate the titles so you have new. Like, it's just none of that makes sense to me. So I. Right.
0: And, and Gable and Benjamin aren't taking that spot.
1: No. And I guess this is the program coming out of Survivor Series for these, these two teams to feud over the titles. And yeah, you're right. Like, the Usos kind of felt more like baby faces here than benjamin and gable do
0: yeah i mean i would say that at this point their promos are baby face promos they're like in my opinion i I think maybe it's not completely defined but i would say yeah they've been probably baby faces for ever since they shook hands with the new day
1: then we got the damnation feature with luke harper so that's later in the season renee interviewed aj styles backstage he got a big pop when he walked on screen he reacts to being called an appetizer. Style says he needs to learn a lesson in portion control. Jinder needs to focus, mm. and he's always been yes. underestimated. He says he works harder than anyone, and at Survivor Series, he becomes the Beast Master when he slays the Beast.
0: Wow, wow, Beastmaster. thats an actual—it's a movie, right?
1: Yes, yes, we were brought up to speed yeah. on the origin of the term, which I still think okay. sounds like some weird BDSM stuff that I guess AJ's into as well. Next week on the show, we've got Baron Corbin versus Sin Cara for the United States title, Natalia versus Charlotte for the women's title, and The New Day against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. So quite a lot next week in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Main event time, Jinder Mahal versus AJ Styles for the WWE title. The crowd starts chanting, you can't wrestle, which I think AJ's a fucking fantastic wrestler, but to each his own. (laughs) Styles gets knocked to the floor. They go to a break. This is where they aired an ad pushing the Shields reunion for Monday on a can't miss Raw, they said. Mahal is with Styles on the floor and tosses him onto the announcer's desk. Mahal is in control for a long time until AJ fights back with the Kenta series, running basement forearm to Mahal, who's seated, and then an Ushiguroshi for a two-count. Mahal then just tosses AJ up in the air, and he lands face-first, coming down. Then they're in the corner. Styles sneaks out of the corner, applying the calf crusher, and it's broken. He reapplies it, and Jinder gets the rope break. And Corey notes that Ginder's style isn't a technical masterpiece, but it works. There was a slingshot forearm over the top to the floor by Styles, landed a springboard four hundred fifty, but then the Sings pull Mahal down to the floor. Styles sprints catching Samir, and then he takes out Sunil as well. The springboard gets stopped and Mahal hits the coloss, and the entire audience is believing this is the finish. But Styles gets his foot on the bottom rope and the crowd just in unison is chanting yes as the match continues. Mahal then goes for, I guess, a super coloss off of the turnbuckle, but it gets stopped, and AJ snaps the neck of Jinder on the top rope. He goes to the apron, sets up for the phenomenal forearm, hits it, and pins him, and this place goes insane. The shots of these fans who are just losing their minds was incredible. And AJ wins the WWE title. There was no disputed finish, and he goes off the uh, it goes off the air with the graphic that it is now Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles at Survivor Series, which is the equivalent of I don't even know what I can uh, use as a great analogy. Like you're, the you're, equivalent of it's like your um, it's like maybe your um, your friend GSP versus Anderson Silva. Uh, sure. I was I was going to say like okay. your. Your friend says, hey, man, could you could you take my sister to the prom? She's got no date, and she's just like, she's really down. Could you just please do this as a favor? And then you go to pick up this mysterious woman, and she's drop-dead gorgeous. That's what you are getting instead. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Cool. That makes sense. Yep, that works. That's a good one. That works. You're going from Brock Lesnar versus Jinder Mahal to Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles. Dude, it's two pay-per-views in a row now where AJ Styles has
0: come in to save the card. And if that doesn't tell you something about the value of of that guy uh, to this company in this year, um, well, I don't know what will. I thought the crowd reaction at the end here was was so awesome because obviously nobody expected it it was their first title change for the WWE championship outside of North America is what they claim. And, uh, overall, I thought a really good match. You can even say maybe one of jinder's best, maybe his best. Um, this, this was a so good, like, like
1: three and a quarter, three and a half star match, which is one of jinder's best of his career. And probably among, I wouldn't even say probably by the end of this month will be a top three match for AJ styles, but you're right. Like for gender matches, this was on the higher end and he's been in there with a lot of talented people that has not – granted, this crowd was great. It assisted in this, and and you got an incredible the finish. The finish,
0: finish was memorable. AJ was just bumping like crazy. I'm amazed he's managed to stay as healthy as he has wrestling matches like this. Um, for now, at least for this month, it seems like this experiment is over with Jinder Mahal. Do you think this is the end of the experiment altogether?
1: I, I think it could be two things. First of all, there's no doubt that I feel they just looked at this and s- said, we can put a much better, like, this is a dream match. We can put together instead. I think mm-hmm, there was a certain mm-hmm. realization of that fact that AJ is just a better, just, just the show is benefited by AJ being in this main event than Jinder Mahal. And there's been no, like, this title match is cold between Brock and Jinder. Just mm-hmm. ice cold. So I can it's it's very hard for me to think that they are just completely done with this gender push and the idea might be we can take the title off of gender and this is our December title program where gender comes back and we get more we try and get more steam on him and we still have our plans of gender going into WrestleMania as champion this could just be a 1 month run for AJ or It could be this gender project is done. It could be either one, but I'm not. I don't read this as a complete absolute that the gender project is being abandoned.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. I think uh,
1: they put so much into this, and to just end it on a couple of days' notice, such as they have here, this is not the case of gender being hurt either because he was working. The like he worked the night before on against a j on the on the European tour, I mean it's not like this guy and it's not like this was a match that was built around a guy who was really injured and they just had to mm. get the title off of so i don't I don't believe that's an issue in all of this. I think this was purely mm. a creative decision and that
0: yeah i'm and sorry, this probably ahead.
1: headlines the december show the rematch
0: I'm really curious to um know what type of epiphany. Vince McMahon had over the past week where he decided to all of a sudden change direction completely for the Survivor Series show because you look at the show now with the Shield reuniting with AJ versus Brock, even that Survivor Series match, I think they've done a good job of building, you know, so that that makes this a pretty solid show, at least on paper.
1: Maybe Vince was. I don't even know if he was at the SmackDown tapings last week because he doesn't always show up to the SmackDown tapings. Maybe he was just out or, God forbid, got a knock on his door on Halloween night and there was some kid dressed as AJ Styles. And he said, God damn, this kid's the same size as AJ, but fuck, he's popular. What's he doing at the pay-per-view?
0: It could be that. What I would hate to see at the end of all this is that. I mean, obviously the fans want to see A.J. Styles as the champion. They want to see him have a good run on on top. Um, I would hate for him to to kind of play like the Brett role towards kind of um, you know the latter portion of his WWF career where he just seemed to hold the belt in place for before other people. So basically holding the belt while other people are getting set up for that real spot. You know, that final WrestleMania baby face win. If it's it should be somebody like an AJ. But I mean, he just might be keeping it warm for somebody else. And I would hate to see that.
1: Do you know what tomorrow is? No, the 20th anniversary of the Survivor oh, Series. There you go. And wow, here's an interesting note. There's a a pretty well-known outlet that is working on a uh, a feature on the 20th anniversary of the Survivor Series and talking to different people with different connections to it. Um, I don't know when it's coming out. I assume tomorrow. Uh, but Bret Hart has zero interest in talking about the Montreal screw job. Maybe surprising hmm. to some, maybe not as surprising to others, but I think that's interesting, the fact he just has no interest in talking about it interesting so for for wow. all the talk of the guy that's uh
0: well he's probably talked about it
1: oh he's he's talked about it to death you're right yeah but for someone that yeah, it's always yeah. brought up the fact that he can't let it go and he's bitter uh it's kind of the uh, it's never struck me as such with with him the fact that uh this guy i think has wanted to move on from this more so oh. than uh the company in which he had left in 1997 which i'm sure will have uh their own uh retrospective looks on on Thursday at this match that I just if I never hear about that night again I will have no complaints for the rest of my wrestling mm-hmm. viewing time Did you want if you do want to hear sorry yeah. I was going to say
0: if you do want to hear about it in the 20th anniversary of Survivor Series obviously watch out uh watch some documentaries about the subject there's Wrestling with Shadows which is I think the standard bear of uh um Wrestling documentaries up there with Beyond the Mat, and of course, uh, John and I and our friend George Barbosa at one point worked on a documentary as well uh, detailing Bret Hart's return to the WWE called Survival of the Hitman. And you'll probably find a bootleg version of it on YouTube somewhere if you guys are so
1: inclined. Yeah, go search it out. We we killed ourselves for three months for that documentary, so I'd love if people can track it down and check it out. Have a have a 20th anniversary viewing party together so it was a very noteworthy edition of smackdown with a new champion in aj styles and it just seems that major changes were made to the survivor series card because after the show it was revealed that the fifth member of the smackdown team at survivor series will be occupied by the returning john cena so we now have shane mcmahon john cena Shinsuke Nakamura, Randy Orton, and Bobby Roode against Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, and Jason Jordan. So this throws a bunch of things. We had, I mean, it had been reported by Dave Meltzer that John Cena was tabbed to be the special guest referee for Lesnar and Jinder. So this just sounds way like they had got a commitment from John Cena. Then they made their change, their big change, and still wanted Cena to be part of the show, obviously. And, I think the changes are for the better.
0: Oh my god! Of course, and I think anytime you have Cena in a, in a wrestling role, uh, it it helps your pay per view. I'm I'm surprised that uh, he's continuing to wrestle uh, while shooting this movie. You know, um, I, I don't know how long they are in the process of producing it. Um, you can also maybe imagine that maybe he'll take a kind of, you know, it being hidden in a five man team. Will probably be an easier night of work for him, perhaps. But uh, this card has just like gone through so many changes over the past week. It and, and so many things seem to be, mm, I guess, hinging decisions. You know, uh, are, is Roman going to be healthy? Is Bray going to be healthy? Is Cena going to be available? Uh, now you have this gender Brock Lesnar situation. So I think it, maybe down the line, the Bruce Pritchard something to wrestle with equivalent of. Uh, a, a, a podcast with the behind-the-scenes in this particular show will be very fascinating.
1: Yeah, does this mean Cena's no longer a free agent? I don't know what that means. I, I doubt they care either. <laughs> they probably are not going to yeah. harp on the fact he's a free agent all that much in the week mm-hmm. leading up to this. Uh, so that's the updated card. I would think... I think it's a pretty strong assumption that Roman Reigns will not be inserted into this match in any form. I think you should just keep them separate with the new day. This is a really long show. They're doing a two hour kickoff way and then a four hour survivor series. Like you, you need that shield match on there. I think.
0: Definitely. I mean, it's three on three. There's no better time to do that match than probably right now. I I guess WrestleMania, but I imagine they'll have different plans for Roman and others at Mania.
1: Alright, did you see any of 205 Live? Uh, I caught highlights of it. Do you want me to quickly run through it? We won't do a, yes. a crazy review here of uh, 205 Live. And then after 205 Live, uh, we will chat about the Ric Flair 30 for 30, and we'll keep it for the end of the show. So if you haven't watched the 30 for 30 yet, uh, we'll save that for the end and give you fair warning, because there, be, well, there will be plenty of spoilers. if If there are such things as spoilers in a documentary... It's called Life. It's called Facts. Uh, 205 Live. It started off with Vic Joseph and Nigel McGinnis discussing the Styles versus Lesnar dream match that will now take place at Survivor Series. Enzo comes out for a new segment called The Zo Show. And, man, the set decoration has really taken a, a dive over the years. This featured black tarp on the ring apron and some leopard sheet laundry. On the corners. That was it. Mm. Um, I miss like having backdrops,
0: you know, like when they used to do um, whatever Piper's Pit, like an actual set.
1: This was the saddest looking set you have ever seen for any personality and mm. in their interview setup. He calls himself a ratings draw and says money does buy happiness. The crowd starts chanting "boring" and says he was happy. But then he got to the UK and calls this place a dump, a la Kobe Covington. And he knocks the weather. He knocks the women for being bland. The men are bland, but also ugly. He says he's in Blanchester. The crowd boos this, probably for lack of originality than any cleverness. Enzo then recaps his loss to Pete Dunn, who he says he doesn't know his name. So the crowd starts chanting bruiserweight, and Enzo says, I agree, he's a loser weight, And never has he lost to someone whose name he doesn't know. He called the crowd, Uckers, and then brings out all of the UK guys. He says, come on out to your terrible music. And like clockwork, these goofs all came out to their terrible music. We had Tyler Bate, Mark Andrews, Jordan Devlin, Tucker, Joseph Connors, and James Drake. And they stood in a line, and Enzo brought out his cue cards, and he just went one by one. And I'm just sitting back saying, man, they are going to just decimate. Oh, They're going to kill these guys. They're going to Eli Cottonwood, all these guys. Yeah. I was like, this is very strange. So first he interviews Jordan Devlin. And brings up how he was trained by Finn Balor. But Devlin says he's here for money and fame. He no longer has an association with Finn Balor. So the idea of this was Enzo wants to hire these guys to be part of the train, To be his, uh, his lackeys. So he had some that were with him. Some that were against him. Next is Tucker. Who says that Enzo and Devlin aren't half the man that Finn Balor is. So Enzo says, whatever. And he moves on to the next guy. Who is James... Mr. Mayhem Drake, Enzo says he has two first names and he asks about the train. and Drake says Choo Choo. Then was Mark Andrews. He calls him Mark Andrew before he looks down at his notes and says, oh, there's an S. Andrews. He puts over his high flying but says the 205 division has a weight limit and he needs to eat a salad and get on a treadmill. And then just leaves. Doesn't even get him, give him a chance to speak. Then Tyler Bate, who was God to these people. The crowd is singing his name. Enzo says, I must stash you a question. Bate goes on about liking hot beverages and not wanting to hear Enzo's screeching voice telling him what to do. And I mean, this guy didn't have much of value to say, but it didn't matter to this crowd. They love Tyler Bate. And Enzo offers to make Tyler his butler because that's what he looks like. And then Bate just drops him with a left hand. The crowd chants, thank you, Tyler. Enzo leaves the ring. We never get to Joseph Connors, who just stands there like an idiot. Overall, uh, just an unbelievable idea of how to utilize these guys that... (laughs) I mean, it's just... eh. There was more to there was more I, I, on this show, but it was like, man, how, how to make these guys look like fucking idiots? And if your saving grace was Tyler, bait got in his punch. Believe me, by the end of the show, that was long forgotten.
0: I didn't really. I, I mean, I I suppose if if you're producing two hundred five live, you maybe need a, a way to introduce all these people to uh, a new audience. But man, doing it this way was like made everybody look just so goofy and. I, I kind of, I, I I felt I I was really scared. Like I was scared that this they were going to do to these UK guys what what they did to the NXT group from those early days where they were just put out there to be tested, you know, under under uh, live cameras and to essentially just often be embarrassed for the be- enjoyment of the people backstage. Um, you know,
1: I'm just so yeah. glad Pete Dunne wasn't part of this this show in any form which is so telling like this company, they can certainly acquire a known commodity and maintain a certain level of popularity. But when it comes to just organically growing baby faces and progressing them, they suck. They really have just shit the bed on a lot of baby faces that you see the potential. And after you get through segments like this, it's just like they have no clue, and Tyler Bate was the perfect example on this show. This crowd wanted to love these guys, and the result was the upcoming matches here, with the exception of Tyler Bate, they were dead silent for all the UK guys that were involved in any of the matches. Yeah. So they, can, they announced that tonight Enzo will take on Tyler Bate. Then they aired a feature on James Drake, Uh, And then we went to Kalisto versus Jack Gallagher. So Gallagher was a heel here coming home and says it's good to be home to remind him of what he left behind. And he calls the people lazy. They won't work a day in their lives. And they tried to make him a circus act and a clown, just like they are trying to make Rich Swan, who last we checked last week was volunteering to be a clown. He says he has returned home a real man's man. And he doesn't need Manchester. He's bigger than Manchester, and he's bigger than Britain. So it was a good heel promo. It just was an audience that I think wanted to like Jack Gallagher, and were basically told, don't cheer for this guy. So instead, we got Mm. a relatively unenthusiastic crowd for five minutes during this match with Kalisto. But, Mm. I mean, that's the role Gallagher's in. I'm not saying you just flip him for one night. So Kalisto kicked him off the apron to the floor, He did this incredible spot where he leaps from inside the ring, lands on the middle rope, and does a somersault dive off the second rope to the floor. This looked incredible. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Gallagher then takes over. He isolates the left wrist and arm. There was a shoulder tackle to Kalisto, a hammerlock applied, Fujiwara arm bar, just all working the arm. And finally, Kalisto did a roll through onto the ropes and came off with the Salida del Sol and pinned Gallagher and 508. This was a very very good five-minute television match. Dasha then interviewed Enzo backstage. He says he has closed out bar tabs with more money than Tyler Bate has made in his life. Then they showed features on Mark Andrews and Joseph Connors. And that's when we had Cedric Alexander and Mark Andrews against James Drake and Joseph Connors. Connors ran at Andrews and hit this backbreaker and works on the back with with Drake in the corner. Andrews eventually tags in Alexander. The crowd was silent There was a spinning back elbow to Connors, a springboard clothesline. I mean, Cedric is really great. And this was just, I just felt they did a number on all of these guys that they just weren't invested in this match. Ended with a blind tag from Andrews who hit a shooting star press and pinned Connors in four and a half minutes. And then the main event was Enzo against Tyler Bate. Bate came out to a very good reaction. I mean, this crowd, that like this was the one guy that was a big standout, won the UK tournament and the title back in January, so he certainly had momentum coming into this show. Whether he had it coming out is a bigger question. Enzo gets in control. He's stomping down Bate in the corner. He applies the world's longest chin lock. Bate fights back. He landed a lariat, ran into the corner and gets dropped with a boot. Enzo nails him off the turnbuckle and his leg gets caught on the rope before he crashes down to the floor. And then Enzo grabs his wrist, nails Bate with a lariat, so they're giving him a version of the Rainmaker, and then hits the Jordenzo, and cleanly pins Tyler Bate in 8 minutes and 14 seconds. He continues to attack Tyler until Kalisto chases him off and Enzo goes up the stage holding his title to end the show. Bravo if your goal was to take Tyler Bate and just make him every other goof on this 205 roster. I thought a thoroughly disappointing and uninspired handling, in specifically of Tyler Bate, who fucking lit that takeover show on fire uh, with Pete Dunn earlier this year. And to watch him utilized in this manner just shows such a disconnect from what you can yeah. do with a guy and what they perceive as how we build a baby face.
0: My uh, guess is that the because he lost to Pete Dunn on Monday this was their way of you know rebuilding Enzo uh, having him beat up Dunn's rival Pete uh, Tyler Bate mm, it's, it's really unfortunate um, because I think we all see so much potential in somebody like Tyler Bate uh, at least a lot more than just to have him lose in this manner mm, I you know That's just kind of how they think, unfortunately. Um, I
1: I wish, if if this was what they had planned, I wish they just flew some of the regular guys over. Like, this could have just been any other... This could have been Mustafa Ali in the main event. Like, this was just... No, but then it wouldn't be a UK special. This wasn't special. This was just taking your hometown guys, home country guys, and just making them look so inferior.
0: I think you could have had Enzo beat beat up somebody else. Mm, But, I mean, at at what point, like, you know... Do we say somebody is, you know, shitty enough for him to beat, but shitty but good enough to be in the main event of 205 Live?
1: I don't it know. It just seems not counter sure. the idea that, well, we got to have the UK guys on. The audience wants to see these people, and this is how we're going to use them. It's like, no thanks. Yeah. I think the UK people left is like, we could have done without that. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't really a fan of of their treatment of the UK talent. I mean, the matches, I think, were were solid, but... The way the everything to do with Enzo and the UK talent just didn't seem to mm, be all that beneficial for really anybody.
1: All right. So that was 205 Live. And now we are going to go over to the Ric Flair 30 for 30 documentary, which I have had the chance to see. Uh, way, you have not. Or have you?
0: I have not. No, I don't even. I, I When did it come out?
1: Uh, well, it aired Tuesday night so uh i definitely didn't i guess some people have seen it uh so anyway i got a copy of this weeks ago so this was a couple of weeks back that i watched this and it certainly had a ton of buzz on tuesday night to the point way that there was a rick flair emoji in honor of this documentary airing
0: yeah where are people getting all these new emojis you know there's like a wrestling emoji
1: now there is a wrestling emoji. I mean, the UFC does no this idea. for the big fights where they get custom emojis for the... Oh, these are just Twitter emojis. Th- yeah, sorry, Twitter emojis. Twitter. Yes, yes. Oh, I see. Um, so anyway, uh, this had been in development for a long time. Rory Karf is the one who was the producer of this, uh, the director, and he had also done the CM Punk series on FS1, um, has long time followed uh, wrestling, and this was... I mean, he got to talk to just about everyone. I think he said that of his wish list of people to talk to, the only ones he couldn't get were Steve Austin, Dwayne Johnson, and Paul Heyman. Everyone else, it seemed, he was able to get. And that included uh, Ric Flair's first wife, Leslie, who has never done an interview about Ric Flair. Um, He had The Undertaker, who is, I mean, for wrestling fans... I mean, just to see The Undertaker doing an out-of-character interview is pretty unique. I mean, you think of the Triple H DVD, the Michael Landsberg interview. It kind of ends there. I mean, there's prominent interviews that this guy has done. Uh, so if you're going in with that, I mean, The Undertaker is not a focused uh, talking head in this. But he's, he's in it. Um, others included, you know, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Jim Ross... Hulk Hogan, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels are all over this. Triple H is in a huge... I I mean, he was one of the main people leaned on because this story is very much of this flawed character that is Ric Flair that has morphed into this character from Richard Fleer, and he's become among the most popular, if not the most popular wrestler to an entire generation, multiple generations, but the trade-off has been a horrendous family life where in particular his first two children pretty much grew up without Rick ever around and to compensate, uh, Rick was around a lot more for Ashley and Reed when they were growing up, but he leaves behind, he's had four ex-wives, a drinking problem, and it kind of just, it showcases Rick Flair in both the brightest light and also a very dark one too. It kind of is just looking at both the the good and the bad of Ric Flair because there's ample amounts on both sides. Um, and Rick is, I mean, Rick is Rick in this documentary. I mean, this is a guy that, at his core, he is still a lifelong professional wrestler and prone to exaggeration. And I mean, self admittedly, has become Ric Flair over the years. And, and likens it to a disease that you become this character and he was this character 24-7. He was this character at the hotel. He was this character when he was out at the bar. He was Ric Flair 100% of the time and talked about when he would go home, he was bored at home. He w- He just couldn't wait to get out on the road with his friends and live that lifestyle. He was addicted to the lifestyle and up until his health scare, I think he still was. And for all we know, might still be craving that it be 1985 instead of 2017. So it's a 90 minute documentary. And like we've reviewed a lot of documentaries where it can be very difficult to tell someone's life story when you have the pedigree of Ric Flair and do so in 90 minutes. And I thought they did a fairly good job of appeasing your hardcore base that just wants to learn new things about Ric Flair hear from other figures talking about Ric Flair out of character, but also the average sports fan that knows the name Ric Flair, but needs the context. And they explain how his parents had lost a daughter. They couldn't have children and adopted Rick, And then he didn't learn he was adopted until he was 10 years old and never cared. It never mattered to him at all. Um, he goes to the University of Minnesota where he had been recruited by several schools and that's where he eventually hooked up and was a teammate with Greg Gagne and they tell a story of Ric Flair going to a sorority party with Greg Gagne and it's they used a lot of animation to recreate some of these stories that are being told so we have an animated scene of Ric Flair at the sorority party welcoming all the ladies to the Delta House and I guess just showing up naked at the sorority party and oh my god if you go a great kind of a companion to this documentary is rory karf on twitter the director because during the airing of this he's telling all these little stories and tidbits about the filming and he said every single interview subject had a different story about seeing rick flair's penis
0: Well, it was a very different time back then and uh I I would I would imagine wrestlers wouldn't really be able to get away with some of that stuff now.
1: I, I mean just in the the current news cycle to hear some of these stories are like it's just i guess a different time is as uh I, I guess the way to put it, uh to say the least. So from there, um He's training under Vern Gagne. We had comments from Ricky Steamboat, who was part of the class, and how, I mean, just going through the, the rigid training regimen that they had to do. This included these 21 flights of stairs routine, where first they had to run the 21 flights of stairs. Then they had to do a fireman's carry with a guy on their shoulder up these 21 flights. Then they had to do a wheelbarrow exercise with another guy. I mean, and this is all uh, animated as well. Ric Flair quit at one point. Verne brought him back, including slapping him and knocking him down to tell him that he needs to pursue this. And this was when Ric was at 300 pounds. They actually had footage of Ric Flair's match with Chris Taylor at the beginning of his career. They go through the plane crash um, where Flair says that that was where he found his character. And... He talks about the specifics of the plane going down, a story about him telling one of the, um, I guess it was one of the people at the hospital to go into his shaving bag and get rid of this letter that he had written to one of his mistresses so that his wife wouldn't find it if he died. Um, talks about uh, the woo from Jerry Lee Lewis. They also came across a Ric Flair in-character appearance on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Um, I want to say in the late 80s, if not 1990, around that time. And this footage is just hilarious that they found that just was mixed in throughout the documentary. And he talks about living two separate lives and that eventually, uh, this is Leslie actually talking about how he just morphed into the nature boy. The fantasy life took over the personal life and Rick says that Richard Fleer was just someone who made it through one year of college. Then the nature took over and he became good at it. And once he became good at it, that's when he says it became a disease. Jim Cornette was also interviewed in this. He was uh, really great. I was glad they got Cornette in this. He compared the difference between the NWA and the WWF at the time in the 80s as the NWA was the Boston Celtics, and the WWF was the Harlem Globetrotters. And they both attracted audiences, but they were totally different products at the time. Uh, Flair talks about his first title win, and it's amazing. The The setup is Ric Flair being interviewed inside of a ring by Rory. And before Rory even finishes the question, Flair says the date of the title win, September seventeenth, nineteen 1981. And we got footage of the match with Larry Matizek calling the title change. And then the key shows up of Rick Flair, R-I-C-K, Flair. And how this uh, segued into his rivalry with Dusty Rhodes after winning the title in 81. Uh, we heard from Tully Blanchard, who compared the demographics of the NWA to the WWF at the time. And that the WWF, where their strength was, was that by appealing to children, they brought the parents to the arenas. Whereas the NWA, they were directing their approach to that male blue collar audience at the time uh they talked a lot about hulk hogan representing the wwf in the 80s rick flair the nwa and then eventually the two in the wwf never doing that wrestlemania match together and they talked about the four horsemen the undertaker just says how cool the horsemen were and rick notes he was the best wrestler out there he compared himself to muhammad ali and this is when they do kind of a sidebar of the influence Ric Flair had on all these modern athletes from their youth growing up on Ric Flair. And they had Snoop Dogg explain kind of the influence Ric Flair had on rap and hip hop. And Leslie Leslie is frequently going here as kind of the, as we're talking about all the pomp and circumstance, the celebrity that Ric Flair was able to achieve. There was this side of things that Leslie brought everyone into stating that um, he, he it just it took over for this guy and she saw it firsthand that this lifestyle took over for him. Uh, this is where Flair also brings up the 10,000 women figure that he has slept with. He says he took marriage seriously for one day. He was bored at home, couldn't wait to be on the road and Leslie says he's truly a wrestler. He's not a family man. He loves his kids. But don't trust him. And uh, Shivani is is telling a story about them being on a plane together. And uh, I'm trying to just re- this is uh, I, I can't remember this exact scene, but it involved his his penis being very erect. And I think it was with Tony Shivani and Sting, um, David Flair. Oh my God! Yeah, there's a um, th- right. th- th- <laughs> there's a lot of reference to his penis. Which listen, folks out there, aspiring wrestlers. Don't try that on an airplane today. Just don't. Um, Mm -hmm. David Fleer is interviewed, and he's, you can tell, I mean, he doesn't hide it. He's very, he's got issues with his father, and not being around, not being a good husband or a father when he was a kid, and he said, I don't want my kids to grow up the way I did. And we heard from uh, Megan as well. So just so you have the chronology, Megan and David are his two oldest children. So they were growing up when Flair was on the road over 300 days a year with the NWA schedule. And then Ashley and Reed were significantly later when the schedule was much more relaxed for him in WCW towards the end and then into his WWF run from 2001 onward. So he was around a lot more with Ashley and Reed. And I definitely would argue you should you should read the second nature book that we chatted about a while, well, a month or so ago. You do really get a you get to hear from Ashley herself and like I would not classify this guy as a bad father. It sounded like to to Ashley and Reed, this guy was a really tremendous father to those two and I think you can you can say a lot of negative about Rick but I think he'd be the first to acknowledge he was not there for his first two children, but realized what a sacrifice he made not being around for his two kids. Not probably suited to be married, but as a father, I think you have you have two different examples between the two older kids and the two younger children. Um, Beth Flair, who is his second wife, who they were married from, I think it was 1983, they were married, um... She's not interviewed in this, but there's a lot of uh, home video footage of Reed, uh, some really sad stuff, like when he was being baptized and and just how he grew up wanting to be his dad. He wanted to follow his father in his footsteps of being a famous professional wrestler. And it also you see a lot of Rick's kind of insecurities that he, he has talked about in his life about. You know, when he left WCW, his self-esteem was at such a low point and that he was constantly... You have to remember, at the the age of 40, when Jim Hurd was there in WCW, they wanted to replace Rick. They thought he was too old. They thought he was no longer the greatest wrestler in the world. This was in 1989, so you have that professional side of an insecurity and... I didn't know too much about this, but his parents were never, they were never wrestling fans. That was known, but they were never impressed with what Rick was able to do with his life. Even when he became super successful and he uses this anecdote that he bought a $2 million home to impress his parents, brought his parents over and his dad just looks around inside the house and he goes to Rick, who needs this? Like he just he never was impressed with the excess. He was never impressed that Ric Flair was this famous wrestler. I think they they watched three of his matches. Like his parents did not endorse this career, and I think that's an interesting um, information of this guy and kind of his whole life has been somewhat proving people that were not sold on him and his parents, I'm sure among them. Uh, Flair continues to. Uh, talk about his favorite opponent being Ricky Steamboat, and uh, those two just talked about kind of their chemistry together. He also, at one point in 1989, went to go see a sports psychologist, and he explained that each day he was drinking 10 beers a day, five mixed drinks a day, and he also threw in the fact that he masturbated twice a day. So that was his daily routine way. Ten beers, five mixed drinks... And uh, and two squirts, and the oh, and the. I
0: don't want to. I don't want to think about that, dude. Well that's too much, too much information, Rick.
1: Anyway, the sports psychologist was just dumbfounded by this and this drinking that he was maintaining in 1989. Um, Jim Ross was interviewed in this. He talked about a story of Flair once ordering 137 kamikazes for 10 people inside of a bar, and Jim believes that Rick needed companionship. He says. Um, he just talked about Rick just didn't want to be alone. And whether it was in a small town or a big town, I mean, he was going to go out and party. Um, Hulk Hogan was featured in this a lot, and he just speaks glowingly of Ric Flair, of how he was 10 times better as a wrestler than I was. And pretty much he's in this to concede that rick flair was the greatest of all time i mean this is a very humble hulk hogan um, that you're not always uh, privy to um they go over different offers over the years from the wwf he was offered a chance to jump there in 86 again in 88 and that was also at the time when the the sale took place when ted turner bought the company uh in tbs Ric Flair being part of it was a huge reason. And that's a huge question to ask. Had Ric Flair left in 88 if Turner would have been so willing to buy out the company and bring them in house, he may still have wanted that programming, but Ric Flair was a massive reason um, to that NWA package and, and buying it. So um they continually talk about Hulk Hogan. They didn't really have the program in the WWF, but did once they got to WCW in 1994, um, we can skip forward here a little to his 2001 run in the WWF and they go through his retirement. Ric Flair calls it the greatest retirement in sports history. And that's when Shawn Michaels is introduced. And Michaels had one of the most telling quotes of the entire documentary. He said, Ric Flair doesn't love Richard Flair. I don't know if he's taken the time to get to know him or who he is. He only knows who he is through the gimmick and image of Ric Flair. And the nature boy is just a myth. So that kind of summarizes the entire, that would be your thesis of this entire documentary of Ric Flair versus Richard Fleer. Uh, Flair said he hated retiring. They did show TNA footage here, which was somewhat sad to see Ric Flair at this stage of his life, just going through this in front of smaller audiences. And just clearly this was a man that just couldn't give up this drug. They even interviewed Chael Sonnen in all of this, um, who asks, what is it to be a man? He says, at some point you have to grow up. And that was kind of interesting to hear from Chael Sonnen, who it follows this enough to see the the issues of Ric Flair, the good and the bad. And um, I'll wrap this up just with talking about the Reed stuff, because this was the heaviest stuff of the entire documentary, and it's really gut-wrenching to watch. I can't imagine... Rick having to relive this, retell all of these stories in these interviews, because uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking to read about. I mean, Rick, in the book, I mean, the actual death of Reed is covered in t- like one and a half pages. He does not want to go into all that much detail. In this, you get a bit more out of him regarding it. Uh, we get just... um Shots of Reed appearing on Nitro as a child during the angle with uh, Eric Bischoff where he took him down. Uh, Megan says how Reed idolized Rick. And they had an old interview clip of Reed calling his dad his hero. And they talked about him linking up with All Japan in 2012 with Keiji Muto. Flair says he was getting $8,000 a week. And it would have escalated to $10,000 a week if it worked out. I have a hard time imagining those numbers. Um, Ashley talks about Rick leaving their house before her high school graduation when when him and Beth were breaking up and him and Reed partied every night that summer. And this is when Triple H talks about Rick being a consummate liar. He'll only tell you what you want to hear. And he talked about Reed uh, trying out for the WWE. He failed two separate drug tests and Rick was in denial. He just couldn't believe... Reed was on drugs of any sort and just thought it had to be a false positive. They retested him. He failed a second test. So that kind of gives you the dynamic here that Rick, who himself has said that at times he wishes he was more of a father to Reed than a best friend. Um, Ashley talks about Reed getting off the plane when he comes over. So he had gone to All Japan and he had been training there in early 2013. And then Rick brought Reed home to do some shows with him and go attend WrestleMania with him in New Jersey that year. That was WrestleMania 29. Uh, And Ashley says that when Reed flew home from Japan, he was already drunk when he got off the plane. And Rick says that Reed was taking pills the night of his passing and he had gotten into black tar heroin. And this is when they air the 911 call, which I I don't know, way if... You know this story and I don't know. I was not comfortable having this 911 call in there. I get why he, they included it, but I just I hate that these 911 hmm. calls are public.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's tricky. I mean, like if you're making a documentary, you kind of want to show the audience the full, I guess I I don't know, emotional weight of everything that's going on, and the best way to do that if you have that media available to you is to show it in there there is something obviously to be said about sensitivity and hopefully i'm sure that you know i would I would assume that the documentarians had rick's blessing before doing doing so um it's it, it, it just yeah it's tough because like it's it's a very serious uh man probably the worst moment in the guy's life that's that was actually recorded um but if you're looking at a documentary, though, is not the goal of a documentary to to show you the truth?
1: Yeah, I I, I understand that side of it. I just I don't know the the prevalence of 911 calls being public record. I just I'm uneasy about those, um, and especially this one. Uh, and hearing it, I mean, your your heart breaks hearing Ric Flair on this 911 call, discovering his son dead in a hotel room. Uh, so read. He was 25 years old when he passes and Rick is in tears trying to say he wishes at times he wasn't as much the best friend to read and more like his dad. And he says, Rick, that he tried to drink himself to death for a year. He would start at 11 in the morning and drink throughout the night, all day. Hunter says that the this he tried to get Rick help at one point, got him into rehab. Um, they showed this compilation of rick charlotte ashley and reed all doing these figure four spots and then a a shot of ashley winning the women's title which rick calls the greatest moment of his career was ashley winning the title above any of his own accomplishments and uh it ends up uh stephanie mcmahon speaks briefly on camera wendy barlow who is rick's fiance, also speaks on camera wendy calls wrestling rick's escape hunter is very tough on rick And he says he talks to young prospective talents at the Performance Center about how Rick is an example of all these things you can attain. He is also an example of all the things you need to be aware of and avoid. Uh, He represents both the highest and the lowest you can reach in this industry. And Rick ends it by saying he wasn't the best father or husband, but he will settle for people thinking of him as the greatest wrestler and entertainer ever. So it's a very heavy documentary. I thought in 90 minutes they did a really good job of explaining who this guy is. And I think the strength of this documentary is coming out of it with an understanding of the, the drug element of pro wrestling. And not the the literal meaning of the word drug. But kind of the addiction these wrestlers have to this specific industry, to the spotlight and for Rick, I think it's even beyond just being in front of an audience. I think it's being around these people, these these wrestlers, that this is the life he knows, and it's the only life he knows. Wow. So that is it. I I think you'll definitely enjoy it, Wei, uh, if you do get around to seeing it. If you're in Canada, it's going to be airing on TSN 5 on Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's the first airing, and I'm sure it's going to replay uh, many times on both Uh, ESPN and their various networks as well as TSN up here in Canada. So that is going to bring an end to our show, and Wei, you are now off to Japan, so have a tremendous trip, and we hope to speak with you uh, next week for our review of Raw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will try my best. It's the return of Roman Reigns and the final uh, the go-home week for the Survivor Series. So uh, that is coming up next week, and thanks for listening, uh, Way, once again, where can people go to keep up to date with all of the things that are going on with us? Well, our
0: temporary home for all of these shows, as many of you have probably already found, is John and Way, W A I, and then the number four dot life, John and Way four dot life. Uh, and you can go and check those out. Uh, a lot of people have been saying uh, they've been having issues adding the RSS feed. Well, uh, a lot of people, I think you can just add. H T T P colon slash slash John and way for dot life slash XML. Uh, oh fuck. I fucked it up slash RSS dot XML. And that hopefully will work. If I fucked it up, please go on the site and just uh, check it out again. Remind everybody, this is our temporary home. We are working on a more permanent solution. We'll try to get up on iTunes. Um, but uh, for now, please go there, stream the shows, listen to the shows. Let people know about the shows, and thank you all for finding us.
1: Yes, yeah, we really appreciate you guys, especially during this period. I know it's obviously this is a bit of a Band-Aid, and uh, we're asking a lot of you uh, keeping up to date with these shows, so thank you very much. Uh, We're going to have changes coming. So we'll leave it at that, and we will speak with you next week.